Scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 14 and some verses in chapter 15. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among, among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what is being strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas call Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from among us 
and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Silas, Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Howard Brown, the uh, senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. Um, This has been kind of a busy week, to say the least. A lot of things going on on Facebook and the blog. A lot of Amendment 1 stuff. I'm a little saddened today by how things turn out. Um, and uh, so let me say this about the book of Acts real quick uh, before I get into this this morning. We are going to have a, um, a learning community on the book of Acts. So it's impossible for me to go through all of this with you. There's so much there. There's like 20 things in every chapter I read, and I only give you one. There's so much there that's richer for you to get than I can give you in a sermon. And I preach long, and I can't give you everything. Um, So um, Michael Hughes, who's a member here and has taught at seminaries and Bible colleges and that kind of thing, has a lot of experience and, and has taught the book of Acts, is going to do a learning community for you guys. And so I want to encourage you. Um, Michael's over there. Michael, raise your hand just so people can see. That's Michael right there. And he and I sat down and we talked about it. And um, I just recommend that when we're done with this book, you jump in. Um, I think it's going to be a Sunday morning thing. And I'm going to stop in um, because I have to prepare to preach on Sunday mornings. I can't teach the class, but I'll definitely be there um, as often as I can um, to be a part of that. So thank you, Michael, for doing that. And he's going to take you s- slower through the book, um, having gone through it kind of quicker here or more quickly. Um, I'm going to preach this morning, but I'm not going to preach this morning. I just think um, as I preach, I'd want to pastor you all this morning. There's a lot of things going on, as I mentioned. And um, as we continue in our sermon series in the book of Acts, the book of the Bible that tells us the story of when the church first started, last week we concluded from the conversion of a non-Jew and non-Jewish people, and that salvation was through faith in Christ alone. Not your ethnicity or pre-Jesus religion affiliation or status that the Lord was an equal opportunity Savior and Redeemer. 
And that was all good for a season. As the number of Gentiles, the non-Jews coming into the church into faith in Christ increased, many Jews were feeling jealous that the Gentiles were coming into the faith of their fathers, bypassing the front door of circumcision and proper respect for the ceremonial laws and religious customs of the Jews. These Jews, believers in Jesus and not, were beginning to feel marginalized and disrespected and eclipsed by these easy and newly come, definitely don't know how to act Gentiles. So there was a group that stirred up controversy and confusion in the church, not primarily in what made a Christian. I believe many believe they were Christians already, but what made an acceptable, know that you know that you know kind of Christian. And for them, the only way someone could be sure to be a part of the promise of Jesus, to, to be sure they were living right and, and could say, hey, I'm really a believer, was to be circumcised, to become a Jew and be obedient to Jewish religious ceremonial law. Well, the Apostle Paul, we've known as Saul, called to minister to the Gentiles, saw this as more than a call to holiness. He saw this as distorting Christianity itself, that for someone to have to be circumcised Jews, to be accepted into the church and thus by God was to change and distort and change the gospel itself, which was simply this, that we are guided, accepted, and united by salvation through faith in Christ alone. The confusion, the controversies, the infighting, the jealousy, the anger, the demands and mistreatments and debates and who has this sign or that sign based on what true faith and true Christianity should look like and act like, what you have to be doing to know that you know that you are saved rages on in the church today, right? But what can we learn from this episode in teaching in Acts? That we must trust and lean on the promise that God guides his people, that God accepts his people, and God unites his people by grace. A commentator I read this week said this about the law, the ceremonial law, as well as the moral laws of God, the rules and regulations, the kosher and, and unkosher behaviors and activities. The law was the expression of God's love for his people. That the law was used as a way to, to care for them and guide them to health and safety and, and kept them out of danger and disease socially and physically, culturally and spiritually. That the law was like parents telling their children to keep their room clean and, and eat their vegetables and to wash their hands and to, to go to the bathroom before you go to bed and brush your teeth and, and to not watch the show about the bug infestation. I had that problem this week. One in the morning, something's crawling on me. Tell you what's crawling on me, you in my bed, get out. I got a kid infestation in my bed at 1.30 in the morning. You tell your kids, don't watch a show about the ghost or, or that killer that lurks outside your window. Stay in the yard. Don't go out in the street. We do these things as parents to guide and protect our children. This is what the Jews' expression and experiences of faith through the law was designed by God to give them. And it means this, that the God of the Bible guides his people to him and keeps them in the safety and joy of the faith by providing and allowing them religious expressions and experiences of faith. For the Jews, 
the God-prescribed, God-given religious expressions of faith are written down in what we call the law, which is, the old, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible. It guided the government and social interactions and the handling of diseases and sicknesses and how worship should and shouldn't happen and, and what people should wear in circumcision of male boys was the mark. It was the affirmation that they were following and, and held accountable for expressing their faith in God as law keepers, as those who had covenant relationship with God. And the Bible shows us that when they followed and that these expressions of faith through the law guide them as promised by God, they were prosperous. And they grew in number and could feel assured that God was on, the, on, on their side. They, they, said God, they saw God do miraculous things and they received blessings and gifts. And when they didn't obey, th- their experiences were hard and they suffered from not being guided in the way God called them to be guided. It was like God was spanking or grounding or sending his children to time out for not following the rules. And so you would expect many interpreted that, that, that many would interpret the coming promise of the Messiah Jesus as being a result, a blessing from God for following the rules. This was the consolation prize. This was the covenantal consolation prize. And so for Gentiles to bypass these religious expressions and law, it just called into question and debate and de- debate and demand all that more. What were we experiencing? What should be the expression? What is true faith? Many, if not most of you, have come to this church, Christ Central, whether visiting or member, believer or unbeliever, through and from an expression, an experience of faith that formed and helped to form the foundation and view of your relationship with the Lord in some way. Some of you are charismatic and some are Catholic. Some did quiet time for an hour at the same time every day. Some of you just prayed and sang praises to God in your car with the music real loud. Some of you came from churches where, where the expression of your faith was required, was ordered even, strongly encouraged and modeled to be outwardly exuberant and to shout and to dance and sing and, and say amen. And when the pastor preached, and for others, the expression experience was a hmm. Or a pensive look. And others fell silent. At the majesty of the Lord, as we see happen in Acts, when someone preached, they were silent. They were just confounded by what the, confounded by what the Lord was doing. And, and many were encouraged and, and modeled to do so. And some folk were taught not to walk around during the worship service. And not to walk during the reading of the word. And others to not take your children out of worship. You don't need to know children's church. Sorry, moms, you're supposed to keep your people in because that's covenantal. That's what the Bible teaches. And some of us were taught the pastor should not be called, should be called pastor and not by his first name ever. And that, and that he should wear a robe. Or that women should not wear pants or jewelry. Or had to wear head coverings. And in your personal lives, many express their faith as in the Lord as Guided to, to, you know, the Lord's taught you, don't surf the net at all if you're alone. Or you might go to that porn site that's been giving you problems. Or others to not have cable at all. And some of you to become more politically conservative and others' liberal side of things best express your faith. And some of you express your faith like I did, throwing out your CDs and tapes and not drinking the alcohol, you know, and, and no more smoking. Some learned a new way to date. Group dating only. And some of you stop wearing tight-fitting clothing and others cut their hair and others let it grow. And many won't go to that side of the town anymore. And others were convinced that moving to the bad side of town was the right thing God wanted every Christian to do. 
and I could add 100 more. You got 20 just inside yourself. Y'all mad for me saying some of them up here? And some of that stuff, definitely not all, but because some of it scarred you. We know these stories at Christ Central. We, we, we lead with, that thing scarred me. But some were proper and good experiences and expressions of love of God and neighbor. Some of you would not be here if you didn't get to run in church and shout in church and cry in church. Some of you would not be here following Jesus if you didn't stop listening to that or smoking this or drinking that or dancing this or that and hanging out with them in that place. Praise God. His law. His rules and regulations and those who led you and said, maybe you should not do this or or maybe you should try this exercise of faith. You know, his written and unwritten guidance can be good for you and your faith, and we all need to accept that of each other. So these folks in the Bible fussing. As a matter of fact, the Bible in the original language in one of these verses in in chapter 15 says they were just plain out throwing down. Spit was flying, sweat beads were piling up on folks' head. All over whether acceptable Christianity was Jewish expressed and experienced Christianity. And the Bible says Peter retells the story of his experience with Cornelius when he came to the Lord. Cornelius, a Jew, I mean a non-Jew Gentile. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit fell on the non-Jews just like he did the Jews. And Peter then interprets, he translates the expression experience of the Jews in this way. Look at verse 6. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after much, after there had been much debate, that spit flying, fussing, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Same thing uh, that, that, that uh, James talks about in verses 16 to 17 from the law. And, the, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Did you get that? What is Peter saying? That God never accepted his people, the Jews, because they were circumcised. That God did not become their God and make them his people because they expressed their faith rightly and well enough. It couldn't have been that. Because no matter how circumcised they were, Peter's saying, they could have been circumcised until there was no more to cut. Paul says the same thing later in a letter to these people. They, the Jews, were and will never be able to live up to the law they live by. They were never perfect enough for God to love them. They were never well-rounded enough in how they live for God, well enough for God to keep them. I mean, the history of the Jews, when I look at the Old Testament, that's a messed up history. And their relationship with God is filled with how they walked away from God, how they stopped circumcising their kids, how they worshipped all sorts of idols here and there, how they dawdled the experience they had with God, how they went through the Red Sea, parted, and saw all sorts of miracles, you know, pillar of cloud in the day, fire by night. I mean, seeing all these things, and they still did not believe and trust God. And so Peter is saying, God loved and loves us. And chose us like he does the Gentiles. Now that was weird to hear. 
No, he chooses the Gentiles like he does us. No, let me tell you what he just said in that sentence. He chose us like he did the Gentiles. You want to get a fight started? That God chose to love us, the Jews, and make his people, despite their goodness and despite our failure, the expression and experience of our Jewish religion, us obeying the law was good and all that being circumcised was a reaction to what was already true and not the other way around. That we express our religion because God had already expressed unconditional love for a people that did not deserve it who didn't worship well enough or enough, who didn't praise him enough and do the right things right enough. Peter is saying we Jews expressed our faith because we had a God that was faithful to us when we weren't faithful. That is what God acceptance is all about, and we too should treat others with the same kind of thinking. You and I have all sorts of expression and experiences of religious faith. Like I said, we, we, we have all had religious experiences of faith that have shaped us in shape and have been used by God to draw us in, as I said, and keep us close. But it was never your law. The expression or experience itself or the worship style of things people did or didn't do that was making you acceptable. It was God himself loving you and drawing you. Like our kids, I don't set up rules so that they would make me love them or make me want to keep them my children. I've already chosen to have them and love them. The expressions and experience of obedience are for their own good. But it's always and will always be about my love for them outside of the law, outside of the rules, outside of their ability to do it, outside of how they perform or respond to me. For you parents, what could your children do or not do that would make them stop being loved by you? You would love your child on the other side of a prison bar. On the other side of any conviction anybody could throw down on your child, you would love them on the other side of that. If you are this good, how much better is the Heavenly Father? You and I have not. I don't care how good your worship is. I don't care how, you know, orthodox your quiet time is. I don't care how many Bible verses you've read. And that's good stuff. Our faith and our experience, our religion, you've not expressed it well enough. <laughs> and all your little rules and thoughts on how a Christian should be or how a Christian should react and respond to what God has done. It's funny. We set up these laws and rules and regulations and expectations of what our Christianity should look, look like, and then we can't even live up to it. It's like God's trick on us. For us to declare, we, I mean, we, we, for us to declare, this is how and why God accepts me or should accept other people. You and I are too evil and too inconsistent in our own mess. We are too hypocritical in our own stuff to be calling on the folk to do it or else we judge that they might not be true or real. You can only through your experience of pressure call people to one thing, and Peter said it, that you believe that you are and will be saved regardless of what you do or don't do or have or haven't done, as Peter says, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like they will and have. That should be the testimony and guidance of your story and your expressions and experience of faith. It was by grace that you have made it and not how you lived. It's by grace you're making it, not how loud you can be or how soft you can be or how mad you can be or how fervent you can be about this issue or that issue. 
but how God lived and died and rose for you and used those things, yes, the things that you hold dearly, I'm not against it, to keep your head above water, to make all you express and experience actually work, to lead you to repentance, to deeper and more loving expressions and experiences. So how are we going to make this thing work? Especially at this kind of church. Well, I'm the pastor and I don't feel comfortable. I don't like some of y'all worship stuff. It rubs me the wrong way. Not because it's wrong. It just rubs me the wrong way. Some of y'all are too quiet for me. I'm up here preaching. I think you hate me. Well, maybe I don't like you either. But I love you in the Lord. Our hope as theirs was back as, as was theirs back then is that the same God who accepts us because he loves us will unite those he has loved from an indifferent and diverse experiences and expressions of faith. Not dogging any biblical expression of faith out there, right? Not dogging it. Unless it's unbiblical, then we got to talk. But this is what the council was trying to discover. Is it unbiblical? So Peter speaks and testifies, the Bible says. Then Paul and Barnabas speak to back Peter's claims. And then James, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, says this. Place went silent. Verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God has first visited Gentiles, Simeon being um, Peter, just a more uh, Roman some kind of thing. All right, it's, it's Peter. So take from them a Peter. Uh, uh, take for them a people for his name. And with this words, with this the words of the prophet, prophets agreed, just as it is written. Sorry, I'm forgetting how to read. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David, David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For, for from ancient generations, Moses had had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in synagogues. And the Bible says, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose people. And I'm going to stop right there to go and tell them this and deliver this letter and help them with what was given. Then look at verse 28. For it, this is in the letter. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, abstain from what is sacrificed to idols, from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well, farewell. The Bible says it encourages people. God changes these Jews. How? Verse 28 tells us by the goodwill and work of the Holy Spirit. As his people humbled themselves, God triumphs by his spirit to change hearts and change the way they see a 5,000-year-old expression experience and open them to a diversity of worshiping God and responding to God. The Holy Spirit changed their story and changed their tune. 
Those who only thought it was by circumcision or would allow that thought to be okay, that you could be sure and be right in your response to God's grace, change their story. And their story of how they, they even change your communication about how God works. And then those who might think that the law was nothing or, or received, you know, thought this, that we can live anywhere we want, received instructions from James that, yes, there are some things that you need not do. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But they went in sure, clear that they were right in what God wanted and how people should live and walk in their religious behavior and responses. And they went in that way and they came out a third way. Nobody won. Imagine that. Nobody won. Instead, they became one. Based on the clear message and ministry of the gospel, that it is by grace we are saved. It is by grace that we become what God wants. The Old Testament situation, I, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but it's just a beautiful verse. You know, they're about to go into Jericho, and Joshua comes out and is like, hey, look. Comes out and he sees this man standing there, not any ordinary man, someone who looks like the ho- captain of the Lord's host, right? It, like Jesus come, right, in military gear. And he's like, hey, dude, whose side you on? And he says, neither. But as the captain of the Lord's host, let me tell you what I want you to do. It's not about winning. It's about being one to what the Lord wants this particular body or what church you're in or what group you're in to accomplish for his kingdom. One of my favorite things my mom would make was bread pudding. Now, I want y'all to forget the gourmet stuff on the menu that costs $8. That ain't what I'm talking about. When I say bread pudding, I'm talking about that ghetto poor man's dessert. Some of y'all might not know about that. It'd be Saturday. Ain't nothing sweet to eat. My mom would look in the fridge and freezer and on the counter, way back in the bread thing, and she'd find all sorts of bread that had all sorts of kinds of processing. Some were frozen way beyond freezing, but chosen by her out of the freezer. Some was still soft. Some were some hot rolls that were left from breakfast that morning. Some were forgotten and old and even had a little mold. Some bread was sweet. Some were mild. Some were plain hard. She would take anything that was bread, regardless of his expression experience, and she would pour cream and milk on it and put some raisins in it, or sometimes a can of fruit cocktail, some sugar, some cinnamon, maybe a little nutmeg, and she would take her time and break it up, mush it, press it down, unshape the molds of the bread, and it became a bread sludge or pudding. Where if you look close, you can still tell, you know, what it was. Was that a slice or a loaf of this or that? And then she would put it under the heat of the oven, and bam, out comes a dessert. One dessert. One pudding. You don't say, hey, can I have a bread-ish, bread's pudding? No, a bread pudding. One dessert, delicious and pleasing. One thing made out of many as each thing added its part and was changed by the hands of a master redeemer and chef mama. Like the Jews and Gentiles that day, each person comes into church soft or hard or with much history or hot on something. Oh, I'm serious about this issue. 
Some more easy than others, and God pours the Spirit on them. And in debate of each person talking and being heard, he takes debatable points, politics and parents and schools and class and ethnicity and moral values and who to vote for, and he mashes them until the only thing left is the gospel, that we are saved by grace, by faith in Christ alone, and he puts them under the heat of struggle, and out by his grace once again comes a new church, a a new experience, a, a new place of oneness, a new and fresh and sweet way of living and experiencing and expressing faith in Jesus and an answer and a solution that will suit and help the whole to the glory and grace of God. Let me let you know, church is not about just getting along. Just getting along is highly overrated. It's about getting it on. And then getting on with the work of God that God has to do. The Lord, therefore, is calling us as a church to bring our experiences and expressions. You know, I think this is good for the church, or I think the church is lagging here, or I can't, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I used to do it like this, and I believe we should all do this. Look at what the scripture that God has given you to let Him press your story against others, to listen to what God is doing in others' folks' lives, like they did here. They heard all kinds of testimonies, to don't judge without hearing and knowing. He is calling us to be in the place together so we can learn from each other and that we can appreciate each other's worship and each other's calling and work. And when we give thanks to Jesus for it, he does something amazing. You know why? Because you are not God. And the God of the heaven is not just your God. You don't know what the God, God is or isn't doing in someone else's life, much less even your own. You don't even know what he's doing. God comes on the river, he comes in a blind spot. You go to change your lane, whoop, God come by, you can't change. Go from two lane to one lane. But not until, but you won't know, especially until you listen. And that means we all must share and eat with each other. And there are people different than us. And, and, and amazingly, the yoke that was on you and on them, the law, the rule, and regulation that gave you security, it softens and eventually comes off. And God puts a new yoke, a, a new connection of grace between his people. And it is a commitment, a tie together of faith as we walk together as believers from different backgrounds and worship beliefs and how we should respond and feel Jesus and be holy. And you will learn, trust me like the Jews did, that your worship was not as rich as it will be or could be. That your clarity was not as clear as you thought it was. That your righteousness was not as holy as it should be. Because when you're doing things by yourself and you're busy just judging other folk, or why are they saying that? Or why are they being loud? Or why are they lifting their hands? Or why aren't they? Or why are they reading this book? And why? When you do that, you are not clear. Because you're standing outside something. Talk and testify. I want y'all to look around. Yeah, go ahead and look around now. Don't look at me. Look around. Who do you doubt the most? (laughs) Who do you doubt the most really trust Jesus? Uh, and I'm going to base it on something shallow just by how they act on Sunday morning. Who do you think knows Jesus the most? You might be surprised. I mean, I'm the pastor, but have some discussions with my wife. No, don't. She ain't living with, she ain't living with the Apostle Peter here, let me tell you. 
I can tell you that much. I confess that much. Who do you doubt the most, and who do you think is the most holy up in the air? Who do you think doesn't get it? Who intimidates you when it comes to all this kind of stuff? Go out with them. Okay, pastor, can you give us some, you know, when you preach, sometimes I don't get a good application. Go out with the person you doubt or think's the greatest. Spend some time. Let them tell you their story. And I won't even challenge you. Ask them with critical voice why I ain't doing what you think they should do. And the person who thinks, I want you to listen. Out of love. What you thinking out there, man? I feel this way. I'm preaching. Some of y'all just looking at me no amens. I'm like, what you thinking? What's wrong with you? Y'all ain't believers or something. I'm not going to command you. But I recommend strongly that you do it. Go out with them. Have lunch with them and share your stories and ask your questions and why they do or don't do this. Have a cage match. We like to call. And don't get out the cage match. It may take two or three days until we cry grace. But I'm going to tell you what you can't do. You can come to the elders. Tell us what we're missing. We're open. Come to the session meeting. Tell us what we're missing. Don't be intimidated. You intimidate us. We're sitting in there afraid we ain't doing it right. You think the elders and pastors, oh, they got it. They are up there. No, we scared. We scared by what you say. I'm afraid. When someone says, Pastor Brown, I just, and start shaking their head, I get scared, man. So two scary groups. I know it's a bunch of men, elder wall kind of stuff. Come in there and talk. But let me tell you what you can't do. You can't just talk in your little group. You can't be a circumcision group and a not circumcision group. We'll shut that thing down. Now the elders will shut that down. Okay, I'm just pastoring right now. You cannot sit around and just talk and complain can't. The grace and power of God is bigger than that. And I'm scared. I want you to talk in the little groups because I'm afraid to hear what I might be missing. But you cannot do it. It's unholy and unbiblical. Here's the deal. You come talk to us, it might change us. What you know and what God may be telling you, we might need to hear. I mean, think about it. It is the council in Jerusalem. These, the bad boys. I mean, these are the, the theologians. I mean, James, the brother of Jesus, is the head of the church, and you're going to go to him and tell him, you need to shut down your friends? They went in there and they told James, big-time Jewish James, On his, on his town car, he got Bishop J. He got the big cross with the purple shirt. He's walking around, he put the cross in the pocket. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, he got a 300. Town car's old school. He got the 300 with the rims. Bishop J, you don't take him down. He got James, brother, Jesus Ministries, Okay. Okay, I, I, I got to, oh my gosh, I got to close. Okay, here's the deal. 
And we see this in what James suggests in his compromise. That you bring something that we might need. And we may bring something you need. When James says this, we are right that they, in verse 20, abstain from things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. And he talks about the law of Moses, the fact that people hear and know what law is about. One commentator I read said James missed it. He said if he was on the council, he wouldn't allow James to put that in there. Because later they had to deal with the whole food sacrifice of idols thing. But I disagree. And I shouldn't disagree with this person because they're way smarter than I am. I'm reading their commentary. But understand why he picked these things, I believe. Something amazing has happened in his recommendation. James, yes, Jewish James, is not trying to make them more Jewish and be acceptable Christians. With these rules, he's using his Judaism, and God has taught them to help them be more secure believers, not Jews. These four rules are about what Gentiles would struggle with and what would possibly lead them away from the faith. James is not trying to make the Jews more happy with the compromise. No, he is loving and expressing love to the Gentiles. He is owning them as those under his care, as his brothers and sisters or children, and giving them these rules which say, I already love and accept you, and out of that love and acceptance, let me encourage you in your freedom in Christ. You see, doing any of these things that, that so happen to be in a Jewish law for a Gentile would draw them away from the church, not, not Judaism or the Jews, but, but, but maybe hurt them in their new faith, idol worship, and to not trusting Jesus anymore, anymore and to being people with, who, who would hurt their faith. And, and with all of these food rules, he is saying, you don't have to eat at their tables anymore. You can eat at our table. He is bringing the richness of his experience to encourage, not to imprison. We need the richness in your experience to encourage us, but not to imprison us. We need you to trust the leaders of this church and what God has called them to be, to not imprison you, but to encourage you. Scripture says after they delivered this that the people were encouraged. They weren't like, oh, man can't eat this anymore. They were encouraged. You know what they felt? Those folk love me. Those brothers up there, they love me. And the Bible says they sent people from that council with Paul and Barnabas to show we support y'all. We're going to come with all you Gentiles. We're going to mix all up with y'all. And by doing that, we're showing we love you. If you're his, Trust me, I'm ending with this. Your life will be a series of crashes and being stranded. I've been a Christian long enough. I've been in and out of this church and this experience and this ministry and this thing and believe I'm crazy. I've been stranded and you will too. On the side of the road when it comes to your religious experiences and expressions, God will crash your life into others and he sometimes will total what you and I were comforted in and by outside of the central gospel and sometimes let what was not a good religious way to break down. 
You may actually have to hitchhike with believers strange and different than you. And in those moments, you will, like they did that day in Jerusalem, grow deeper in the gospel and in the love of God. But I must admit, it doesn't feel good or right to have your life crashed by someone else, crowded in by these group of people, something else that God has brought. Because you believe you and who God has made you and called you and your expressions and experience will be lost and your faith with it. And it doesn't feel good or right. You will feel like, who do I have to be? Why do I have to be the one who loses or changes? Why do I have to be the one who submits? But I promise you this. What has been lost or taken or given for the glory of God and love of him and love for the people who are now your people too is the gift of love that Jesus wants to show us in the world. Your loss, my loss, your change, my change, our submission is the story and proof that the gospel is at work and that Jesus is alive. We live because he died. Now you and I die for Christ so that we might live by grace and with power and love. Because we are the tolerant church. But tolerant church victorious because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work with us. This is not easy. In this church, this is not easy. I'm done. I'm just talking now. In this church, it is not easy. You will always believe there's an in crowd with the in information. It ain't true. I don't feel like I know what an in crowd is. And if it is, I'm not in it. Because the crowds I'm in feel like they're on the outside. It is not easy. What we do up in here is hard, and I don't recommend it. Too many mixed up, messed up religious folk. It's so easy if you just, let's all vote this way. Or you've got to do it this way. Well, you got to sing the song that way. Well, you got to sing it this length. And then we know, whoo, we doing what the Lord wants. I can't promise you that. And I can't promise you can be the same way next year. But I will promise this. That the gospel we preached and proclaimed. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign in this church and in your lives, and I will insist upon it for your sake, for our sake, for the glory of God.